Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 196. I'm your host, Derek Moore. And this week, I'm going to get into the money supply, or really, to be more exact, are we really going to have a fall in the money supply for the first time ever? Well, it's not exactly ever, but I'll explain more on that. By the way, I appreciate everyone who sends notes in. And if you ever have an idea for an episode or want us to cover a topic, go ahead and hit me up at Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-O-R-E at Z as in Zebra, E as in Eddie, G as in George, A as in Apple, and financial is up to you to spell correctly. All right. So let me get into this. And really, let me start here. We have these these sort of broad measures of money supply, M1, M2. Used to be M3, used to be MZM, which I kind of liked. I quite like that one. Well, the Fed's gone and or somebody's gone and discontinued those. And M1 money supply, they actually changed it. And now if you look at a chart at it, it looks like there's just this gargantuan growth and 2020. And yes, the money supply absolutely grew in 2020, but they changed the calculation. So M1 is basically, it's composed of, uh, you know, currency, demand deposits, uh, savings deposits, and, you know, just, it, it's sort of, they quote unquote say it's a narrow, narrow measure of money supply, currency, demand deposits, other liquid deposits, including savings deposits. And they do make note that M1 does not include financial assets such as bonds. And yeah, they they changed it. And the change that they made was they actually added savings accounts to the M1 money supply in 2020. And that's why if you look at a chart, you're like, oh, what happened there? Well, what happened was they they changed it. And the argument was nowadays, especially with online savings accounts, you can get that money really quickly. And that's one of the things like M1 was more money that you can access very, very quickly. Again, I liked MZM, uh, but I won't get into that because they no longer put that out. Thanks to whoever made that decision. All right. So M2, the money supply, it's got everything, uh, you know, an M1. But it also includes uh, checking deposits, easily convertible near money, um, cash, all those sorts of things. So it's M1 plus everything that's M2. And that's really the best we got right now when it comes to money supply. So why is this important right now? Well, in 2020, there was a 25% increase in the money supply. That was enormous. If you go back and you can look at uh, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis and you can download this data, just use uh, you know, money supply, go back as far as you can. And then down below, you can actually do it right on within the FRED site. FRED is just Google FRED M2 money supply. And you can do the annualized change. You could also download it to Excel and just do the math yourself. But 25% was the growth in the money supply in 2020. 2021 was 12%. Now, 12% is really, really high still. 
fact, you got to go back to the 1970s, 1971, 72, growth in money supply, 13%, 75, 76, 77, 13, 13, 10. What did we have in the late 1970s? We had inflation. And when you look at the growth in the money supply, yeah, 83 was 11%, 2001 was 10%, 2008, 10%. 11 was 10%. But, you know, a lot of these years when you have growth in, in money supply, they correspond to recessions. And when you think about what happens with the money supply, well, the Federal Reserve is easing. They are creating theoretically, quote unquote, more money, pumping money into the economy. And so you have that growth of that supply of money or M2. So. What is significant about what I think you're going to start hearing? I saw it the other day on CNBC. Somebody was on there and said, this is really disinflationary because for the first time ever, and by the way, the first time ever, I think the data goes back to maybe the early 60s on this. I'd have to double check, but there is going to be at least as of, I think, through this would be through October, I believe, September, October, uh, it's down like 0.2%, 0.3%, somewhere around there. And basically, you know, all right, let me, let me put a number. At the end of 2021, the money supply was about 21.49 trillion. The money supply, at least the last one, was let's see 21 point what are we saying here yeah 21.415 trillion so it's down slightly and yes if it ends the year below last year's year end 21.49 trillion we would have a decline so is this significant um yes and no and I think one of the things that we have to understand is, you know, there have been years where we grew the money supply. It didn't necessarily lead to inflation. Other years, like in the late 70s, the money supply was grown and we did have inflation. I think there's a line, there's sort of this area of indifference. It's kind of the way, same way I, I view the, the U.S. dollar strength. I think the dollar has been too strong against other currencies that's hurting revenues. I did an episode on that. I'll link to it in the show notes where I sort of went to that more. But I had this area of indifference. And I think the money supply could grow a certain amount. But 25% seems like it was certainly overdone. And then you follow it up you know, in 21 with a 12% increase in the money supply. And so I'd say, yeah, that absolutely contributed to inflation. Although I still say that the Fed has eased before. The Fed has kept interest rates really low, and we haven't had inflation. And it wasn't until we had fiscal stimulus. And what is that fiscal stimulus? I mean, stuff the government does, stuff Congress does. I mean, they sent out direct check checks not once, but twice, at least twice, maybe more. I can't remember it now, even though it's been a couple of years only ago. But checks, the PPPs, the uh, disaster loans. And then other things where they gave people the opportunity to not pay back their school loans, you know, their monthly payments on their school loans. They 
suspended in some cases, you know, having to pay rent or having to pay mortgage. I, I don't think that was as widespread as, uh, you know, some of the other things. But there was a lot of money that was directly pumped into the economy. And remember, the, the old ideas, when you have too much money chasing too few goods, that's how you get inflation. So while, yeah, the money supply definitely grew, uh, but I think the fiscal side of it was really the big contributor to this. And I would say, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting that the money supply is coming down. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And I would say that the money supply coming down, a lot of people are pointing to that and saying, ah, that is really disinflationary. I think there's a lot of signs that inflation has stopped. The rate of change of inflation has stopped going up as much. I always remind people, even if the rate of change goes down, it doesn't mean that those price changes go away. Now, do I expect the ability to sell a used car? You know, you buy a car five years ago, have 100,000 miles on it, you're selling it for more than you paid for it. That's not going to continue. So in certain areas, I think that will come down. But when you look, and I would say on the surface, it's going to take some time for all this extra money supply to work its way through the system. And, you know, look, I mean, the Fed is taking money out of the, uh, the economy. They are letting their balance sheet run off. They are, and I think they're going to, you know, continue to do that. Raising interest rates, in theory, you know, that, that takes money out of the, uh, the money supply. I don't want to get too wonky on you, but, you know, the, that's part of the, the calculus in this. But I wanted to bring this up because I think you're going to start hearing a lot more talk about this, especially if we end the year and we have a, a you know, a down year over year growth in the money supply because we just haven't had it. I mean, I, I could go back to, let's see, 1994, 0.3% was the percent change year over year. 1993 was 1%. 94 is really interesting because that's one of the years they were raising interest rates. And while the markets didn't go down as much as they have this year at our, you know, the, the very bottom of the market, uh, you know, look, I mean, earnings were up a lot more in 1994. It is interesting, though, in 95, they stopped raising and the market sort of rocketed up. You know, see, see what happens here. Uh, don't make predictions on the markets. So I would keep an eye on this. And Professor Jeremy Siegel is one of the first people I saw. This was in 2020, and he said, look, he came on CNBC with these charts saying, this is, a, this is the biggest increase in the money supply ever. Like, you have to have inflation on the back of that. And it turns out he was right. He was not team transitory like a lot of people were. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up is the idea of velocity of money. Velocity of money, you know, that it sounds really technical, but it really isn't. All it is is you take, you know, the, uh, take your GDP, your gross domestic product, and you divide it by the, you know, the, the, the money supply. So you would take, you know, nominal GDP divided by M2, and that would give you the velocity of money. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of us who have, uh, you know, studied economics and sort of looked at this in a long term, the belief is that if velocity of money is high, 
then that's when you really get inflation. And by the way, velocity of money, just kind of think about it this way. It's like for every dollar, how quickly does that dollar circulate? And I always give this example. You have a dollar, you go into a pizza shop, you buy the slice of pizza for a dollar. I know it's not a dollar anymore, but work with me here. The pizza shop owner goes and buys a magazine, the magazine stand for a dollar. That guy takes the dollar and goes somewhere else and buys a bagel and the bagel shop owner goes and buys a cup of coffee at Starbucks for a dollar. I know there's no dollar coffees at Starbucks. But that that's sort of a, an example of velocity money. It's that same dollar circulating quickly. And the idea is the more circulation you get for for each dollar in the economy, then that velocity of money increases. And it's been thought that as velocity goes up, that's one of the reasons why you get inflation. Well, velocity was about 1.112 in Q2 of 2020. That's kind of the lowest. Using M2, um, that's one of the lowest ones you've seen. Remember the numerator denominator. Your numerator is the uh, is GDP, and your denominator is M2. And so, if you're increasing M2 and GDP doesn't go up as much, your velocity is going to come down, and vice versa. Now, velocity has gone up Q3 of 2022. That's uh, the month ended September was about 1.19. Um, so velocity is going up and it's rising a little bit, but we really haven't seen, you know, you would think, well, we have all this inflation velocity would go up and it reminded me, and I had to look it up. There was a paper by Hugo Rodriguez, uh, Mendez Abal. I hope I'm clearly mispronouncing this uh, person's name, but this came out in 2001 and it's the behavior of money velocity in high and low inflation countries. This is by the Ohio State University Press. So I don't know if he was uh, a professor there, or if he was, um, let's see where he was. Oh, he's in Barcelona. So he just published uh, with the University of Ohio Press. Okay. So one of the, the themes of the paper was, and I'll put a link to it, um, you know, where you can at least see the abstract and the, uh, the, some of the conclusions was that when you have inflation, the velocity of money, the correlation is really high, meaning velocity would go up. And one of the things that he sort of laid out in the paper was the, basically provided an explanation of why, and he sampled 79 countries, the correlation between the velocity of money and the inflation rate appears to be low, unlike common wisdom would suggest. And he goes into it. The reason is diverse transaction technologies available in different economies. Okay. So um, Hugo in his paper says, no, not so fast. And I think it's just one of those things that's a little bit of a conundrum because we all expected the velocity of money to, uh, to be increasing. Now, one of the things you could say is that, remember I said what M2 includes it includes deposits and you know without really going too far into the the details of the data you could say well look just because the money supply is really high it doesn't mean people are spending it what if they're you know socking it away in in savings accounts which are 
you know, now part of M2, of course, part of M2, uh, M1, now part of M1, and of course, M1 is included in M2, that if you have this money stuck in savings accounts and they're not spending it, but then the other side of it says, well, wait a second, then what is causing all this inflation? So it's, I just thought I'd bring that up. It's kind of interesting. And I think velocity of money to me used to work better when the Fed published the MZM, which is more you know, near money. Um, that to me was a much better metric to use, especially when calculating velocity. And if you ran an, you know, an XY uh, regression scatter plot, there was a lot more. To me, it made the correlations were a little higher, but alas, the Fed has taken that away from us. So uh, write your letters to them. All right. So bringing this back to maybe more the investment side and, and inflation and what everybody is watching. The Federal Reserve is tightening monetary supply. They're doing it two ways. They are raising interest rates. And when you raise interest rates, that is uh, constrictive to, to the economy. It is, um, you know, they're sort of paring back some of the easiness. So they're raising interest rates and that's, you know, has an effect, although there's some argument about how long it takes to translate through the system. There is a lag, and I would agree with that. And the other way that they're doing it is they are reducing the Fed's balance sheet. And they're doing it really the primary way is um, they're holding all these bonds with different maturities on their, on their balance sheet. And as bonds mature, what the Fed has been doing, well, okay, they, they were doing this and they were also buying bonds on top of uh, you know, increase in the size of their balance sheet. So they have this balance sheet. What they were doing for years was two things. Each month, um, you know, until they started raising rates, they were buying bonds. They were buying mortgage-backed securities, mortgage, uh, you know, MBS, and they were buying treasuries. And the other thing that they were doing is, as bonds on their balance sheet matured, in addition to buying new bonds, they were taking the, the bonds that matured and replacing those with new bonds. So all else equal, aside from the you know the hundred billion they were buying in bonds each month, they were keeping their their balance sheet constant. So now they're doing two things. Not only are they not buying bonds anymore, but they are letting bonds run off the balance sheet. All that means is as bonds mature, they're not replacing them. They're taking the money, they return it to the treasury. And so their balance sheet is coming down. And, you know, I, I was talking to, uh, to somebody over at, uh, at State Street, and one of the points they made was that mortgage-backed securities, uh, you know, they point out they're probably selling some of those as well because there's not enough bonds that are coming due that would run off the, uh, the balance sheet. So interest rates going up and the balance sheet contracting, that's one of the ways that money supply is dropping. And... I don't think the fact that we have a negative growth rate in the monetary supply for the first time ever is a big deal because you had all this growth and, you know, minus 0.2, minus 0.3% is certainly not going to erase the, the gains of the past couple of years. And to throw some numbers behind this, 2019, we ended the year, the money, empty money supply was 15.3 trillion. 
2020 ends the year at 19.12, then we go to 21.49%. So there is quite a bit of work the Fed would have to do if they really wanted to shrink the money supply. You know, they'd have to start selling treasuries off their balance sheet. I don't think there's any, any noise about them doing that. Um, so anyway, I, don't, I think this is going to be one of those potential, sometimes we call it, uh, you can play some games with charts. I saw some recently where somebody passed me a chart of the growth of credit card balances. And really, they might just be back to, if you drew a trend line to what they were prior to the you know, 2020 and 2021, where they fell when all the fiscal stimulus went out, um, that's not that big of a deal. And I think it's the same thing here, where if somebody sends you a chart and says, this is you know, the biggest ever, but you have to look, uh, I would draw a, a you know, a trend line on these and just show how much this has grown. And even if you pared back things, you know, it, it would take a bit. So you're going to see this um, out on CNBC. Probably you'll see more people talking about this and it's a story when it's a story, but I don't think it's, uh, uh, I don't think in itself is, is that massive considering what we've grown the money supply to. All right. We're going to call it there. Hopefully this was uh, at least get you prepped when you start to see this. And you can talk to your friends at a, uh, you know, you just had Thanksgiving at, at Christmas. Now you can talk about velocity money in M2 and M1 money supply. We'll leave it there and we'll talk to you all next week. Have a good one.